Hey, what's up? This is Elliot Einhorn. Welcome back to the TalkHouse podcast. Today I'm joined by... Mick Dawson, Editor-in-Chief of TalkHouse Film, and as you know, expert on all things cultural, musical, cinematic, <laughs> graphic, or all, all your stuff. I'm here for your needs. Listeners, we have a very cool episode for you today recorded right here in New York City at the iconic Strand Bookstore in Manhattan in their rare book room. This episode features singer-songwriter extraordinaire Natalie Prass in conversation with her producer, Matthew E. White. They talk all things the future and the past, which is her fantastic new record that just dropped on ATO. Yeah, this was a very cool event. And it was kind of fascinating to listen to them talk about this record because there was kind of another record that A that precursor. Exactly. The, the, the basically, Trump got elected. They had this record that they were going to record in December 2016. They completely scrapped it. And they made a, a record in response to everything that happened. The, the, a record that the country needed, if you like. Natalie had written a, a breakup record. And as important as that was to her, she felt that she needed to use her platform as a well-known songwriter to share more of what was actually going on outside of her own world. I cannot wait for her to write a political breakup record for, you know, when this current administration <laughs> hey, comes man, in. That'd when be they flush fucking, down the toilet. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Now, Natalie and Matthew actually grew up together. They've known each other since high school. They're both from Virginia Beach and actually to this day live sort of a short walk from each other. Yeah, that was kind of the, the hilarious thing about this talk is that, you know, as they say at the start, they're doing it in New York City, but they live like four blocks from each other in, in Virginia Beach. Right, right. Matthew E. White is a singer-songwriter in his own right, but he's better known as a producer and as the man behind Space Bomb Records. And listeners, in case you're unfamiliar, Space Bomb is a sort of Motown setup in that it's a label. It's a studio that you can rent out, but it's also, he's got a sort of wrecking crew, as it were. He's got his on-call musicians that are a house band for the artists he produces. So he's got a very specific sound in the way that you don't hear very often in modern labels anymore. And of course, Motown is a real touchstone for Natalie Press. And they talk about that really fascinating. They talk about her musical roots, the, the stuff that she likes, some of which Doobie Brothers, for example, not necessarily super popular or hip, but, you know, it's like very heartfelt. That and, and the way they talk about jazz as well. Something that people like to make fun of, but she feels really deeply about. Sure. And one thing to know about Natalie is that she is a songwriter's songwriter. She is steeped in the traditions of songwriting and in the craft. She actually went to school for songwriting, which we hear a little bit about in the talk. Yeah. Matthew asks her, what do you <laughs> study when you're a songwriter? Major? Right, right. Like, what does school look like for you? Yeah. You can really hear her classic songcraft in this song from the new record, Never Too Late. Check it out real quick. All back can we go back to the way that we were when we were so right together? Cause baby, you know, oh, you and I will never be as good on our own. Oh, it is never too late to say I love you. Wish on a falling star above you. Never too late or to go back to the start. Nick, to me, the sound of that song could be coming from multiple different eras. Totally. It's a timeless song. Natalie and Matthew really cover a lot of ground in this conversation. We hear about how to write a political song. We hear about her dog clothing company, which nearly kind of made her quit music. Which <laughs> Almost took her out of the game. Huge mistake. We hear about sexism in the recording studio. And 
what her band name was when she was seven. Yes, this is which is incredible. Let's, a world premiere scoop. Yeah, let's not ruin that, but it is priceless. Keep it locked. And, and before we go, stay tuned until the end of the episode for a special solo performance from Natalie, which is not to be missed. Everybody. Good evening. Hey, can you guys see us back there? Kind of? All right. This is fun. This is fun. Hey, Matt. Just for a little bit of context, we're very happy to be here. Yes. But also we live a couple blocks from each other <laughs> yeah. at home. And so In Richmond, this is Virginia. very sort of a normal thing that not with the audience. Exactly. This is... This kind of looks like your house too. Matt has a ton of books. Well, <laughs> well we have a lot of books. I do have some books. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> I, I dreamt up some questions for you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Let's get started. Let's get started. <laughs> so for me, coming into this record, this was about sort of unveiling or showing who you are in a bigger and wider way. I think you have... a a powerful creative vision, a very well-developed sense of art and aesthetics. And, and as a producer, it's just, it's about getting, it was about getting behind you and they're just, just getting, not necessarily getting out of the way, but just enabling you to be the best version of you possible. And I think basically where that starts is, is just your listening palette, which I think is incredibly unique. And over the past couple of years since the first record come out, came out or since we you know, started working together, you'd send me playlists or share songs or that kind of thing. And it's always completely off the grid from what most people are sending my way. Or I feel like your sense of what you like is just perpendicular to kind of what's going on and you know, sort of popular taste or whatever. I, I, it's just completely different. So I just kind of wanted to start with, I was looking over the playlist today of what you made kind of to get us ready for the record. And I just want to hear from you, like, where does that come from? What are, what are some of those things and where did that unique sense of taste develop? Well, I, I feel like I owe a lot of my taste to uh, my dad who raised me on Motown music. And Motown has like a very strong song. It's like a very strong song form. Melody is like off the charts, groove, chords. I don't know, I just feel like everything that I like about music has stemmed from that. And then growing up in, um, Matt and I both grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. It's like a transit town. It's like a Navy, huge Navy town. So tons of different people move to Virginia Beach and stay there for a couple of years and leave. But oddly enough, Virginia Beach has a very strong um, R&B scene. Like uh, Pharrell's from there, Missy Elliott's from there. Uh, Timbaland. Black um, Street. Black Street. Oh my God. I was obsessed with Black Street growing up. I actually got, I was in tap dance with his daughter. <laughs> I took tap dancing lessons with his daughter. <laughs> and I remember like, I was like super starstruck by her at first. And then we just, she's like the coolest person in the world. Anyway, we still keep in touch. But, uh, <laughs> but going into like her mom's van and like there's TV screens on the back of the seat and being like, oh my God, like <laughs> it's pretty rad. Um, but <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. I, I've always had a real love of music and melody, and I, I wrote my first song in first grade, and like I've just always been drawn to kind of like a romantic but with a groove kind of like I feel like all the songs that I like you start to see a pattern I think maybe yeah I think so yeah but but there's there's sort of an all like an like the Martika stuff or Evelyn Champagne or, or sure. like that kind of a little bit deep digging on either whether it's like 90s R&B stuff or like late 70s kind of or like being very into the Bee Gees <laughs> like, like, but, but not in sort of an, it's not ironic and it's, no. it's not, there's no sense of like, um, like there's, I love everything about Michael McDonald. Like that is not ironic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's not, that's not like a new thing for you. Mm-mm, that's no. like sort of a long term. I remember I was songwriting with this, uh, friend of mine in Nashville in 2009 and I was like playing him Doobie Brothers, What a Fool Believes. And I was like, this is the shit. And he was like, What? You know, like seriously, and like just kind of like wrote me off. And where, so where did that come from? I mean, when, when did that start? I mean, I. I mean, did, I don't know really. Well, I kind <laughs> of answered that already, kind right. <laughs> I mean, okay, so like in middle school, did you love Michael McDonald? Uh, my, that's not Motown. Yeah, I guess in middle school, I more liked um, like Blackstreet and Escape and. Montel Jordan. And, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Indigo Girls. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't really come across. That doesn't come record. across, yeah. <laughs> but my sister really liked that. I had an older sister, too. So my, my sister has really good taste in music. And she also showed me a lot of, like, jazz stuff for the first time. So Ella Fitzgerald and, all, like, all those jazz vocalists. Um, I always say my sister has, like, a way better voice than me, but my, she doesn't sing anymore. You know, um, she got me into like Dinah Washington and all that kind of stuff too. Can we talk about jazz for a second? Yeah, let's talk about jazz. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is sort of later deep in my questions, but since you just brought it up, how does that influence your record? How does that influence your singing? It's like it's sort of a running joke with you, or we talk about it a lot because definitely in sort of the world that we grew up in, sort of very punk rock, Virginia Beach world. Yes. Like, to a large degree, like jazz music. And I think even now it's starting to be less so, but in a lot of places, like there's a, people have a hard time with the music. I mean, they just don't like it. It's not cool. It's, it's sort of looked down, especially jazz vocal vocalists to a large degree. I, I didn't realize how much people dislike jazz vocalists until very recently, actually. I thought it was like, I was like, this is the best kind of like American music ever is jazz music. And especially when you can sing it, like, I don't know. So, how, I mean, how did when when did you get into that, or how does it, and how do you feel like it influenced the record, or just because I know you love it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, it's a little bit of a soapbox. Yeah. Well, like, well, for instance, I mean, the easiest way to answer this question, like, clearly, is so. After I decided to like, like, for instance, this is an example, like. When Matt and I were writing songs together um, after the election and I was like, I want to scrap that old record and maybe you and I can write stuff together. Matt has a couple drum machines and you just play some beats that you had saved on there. And then I would just start running melodies um, 
and then you would start to figure out what I was singing. And a lot of the times the melodies that were coming into my head were coming from like a place of like from, from like stemmed in jazz music. Um, I think like I've learned a lot about how to sing and my voice and where notes uh, can go within a chord um, because, you know, you can just play like, oh, whatever. Yeah, there you go. Masterclass. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can just play a C chord, but then you can sing like, you can make any note really work over the C chord, you know, or any chord. So it just taught me how to think, like, I think like the most, the person that does it the best these days, in my opinion, is Frank Ocean, like where he thinks of melodies over these chord progressions, like blows my mind. I feel like he maybe has this, he's coming from the same place a little bit possibly, but um, so I guess it's just coming from that. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> what, what songs on the record do you think of as being like that? Sounds well, Hot from awesome. the Mountain for sure. Uh, what other ones? Oh, Ship Go Down. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That one, it's like we've gotten a couple of reviews. Like we've been t playing some uh, of the songs live recently, and they're like, oh, Natalie and her snazzy, jazzy band. <laughs> and we're like, oh, is that a dig? Is that a burn? But I'll take it. <laughs> so... Because jazz has such like a negative, uh, you know, people just think, don't think it's cool at all. Anyway. Um, so in regards to your songwriting for this record, yeah. how, how do you feel, how do you feel like you've grown as a songwriter from the first record to oh my this record? God. Can you talk shop a little bit? Yeah, so much. I mean, the uh, record that Matt and I did together uh, in 2011, uh, 12. I mean, you and I first started talking in 2010, I think. I think I was still coming from a place with writing in Nashville, like well, I was like fresh out of college and just still like in college, I felt like I had the freedom to experiment with my writing. Like, oh, this is my time. I can just do anything that feels good and like see how far I can take things or maybe I'll write like a pop country song today or maybe I'll, I was a songwriting major. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and when I got out of college i was like starting to freak out like can i just interrupt you briefly sure. yeah for those who might not know in here yeah. can you just briefly run down what a curriculum for a songwriting major is <laughs> uh, and by those who might not know i mean you me as well <laughs> um i did a lot of creative writing music business i took a midi course um <laughs> which is hilarious um but then we also did like music history and um that's not the songwriting part though okay so well, in songwriting oh, yeah, like, oh okay okay sorry i'm just going through all the classes i had to take um, <laughs> <laughs> um in a songwriting class it was actually really informative because we talked about like all the different forms yeah. that there are in pop writing because I, I was a commercial songwriting major um, and then we would do exercises where we'd have to like personify every single object in a song or something, you know, like, uh, I mean, I sort of bring it up because you're a really craft based songwriter and mm -hmm. you think of it that way and you, I mean, you respect the craft mm -hmm. and I think you're very good at it. But I think for a lot of people, songwriting seems it's a mystery. It's like my dad asked me every time I see him, do the music or the words come first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's the extent. So it's yeah. like, 
I think it's interesting to get down to like the crowd. Just what what are some of the nuts and bolts of the of? Yeah, of I mean, there's. It was for a very long time. Um, very like I had to be inspired, you know, to write. Um, or I felt like that's how a songwriter is supposed to write to write good music. But what college taught me is. No, you have to write, if you want this to be your life, you have to write no matter what. And as you get older, it gets even harder. Um, So that was like probably the most valuable thing I took out of being a songwriting major. But um, it's still like very, uh, I mean, I guess because I do it so often and I've gotten to know myself so deeply as far as who I am as a creative person and my process, like, there's still like an, an element of like pulling something from like this magical, like kind of unexplainable thing about it. Cause sometimes you have yeah, like, sure. sometimes you, it hits you and sometimes it just doesn't. And it it's hard and it's hard work and you have to keep chiseling at it to make the song into a thing. Um, yeah. So it's, how's I'm, it changed? Oh, oh how has it changed? Yeah. Oh, sure. Right. Well, I mean, I'm extremely like emotional person. Like I'm very sensitive, like things like deeply affect me. <laughs> As you know, very well, Matt. I go to Matt's house like all the time and I'm like, I just need to talk. <laughs> but um, I guess now it's different because uh, I don't have to be deeply affected like I used to be. Like, like my last record was all very emotional, very like relationship-based music, and then I've been, you know, experimenting with writing about things that don't are didn't happen to me like personally or or between one other person. Or I can kind of write about anything now, I guess. And I guess on some of the songs like going through some of the songs on the record, like do you think you could point out spots where you feel like that development happened? I mean, you know, like examples of songs where you're like, I wouldn't have been able to write this song three years ago. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, sadly, a lot of like the new stuff, you know, half of this record is all brand, like, you know, at the time it was brand new. We were, Matt and I were supposed to be recording another record uh in december of 2016 but then when the election happened i just like you know decided uh my problems are insignificant to what's going on and i just felt like it was i mean it's a it's every artist's choice on what they want to do and that's the beauty of being an artist but it's um i felt like me personally i wanted to contribute and put positive energy out there and say something and keep a conversation going so a lot of the new stuff, I guess I wouldn't have thought to have written Sisters. You know, when you and I got together to write that one, I mean, I was in such like a hopeless uh, state of mind, you know. You and I had some really deep conversations for a long time, like a month before, you know. Yeah. A few so, months. Yeah, so the way it worked, I mean, just to give you guys some context on the, what what happened mm-hmm. was we were scheduled to record the last week of November 2016 and all of December 2016. And then when Donald Trump was elected on November 9th, Natalie called me the next day, like basically 
losing her shit completely. <laughs> <laughs> and was like, we we have we have to we have to move the recording session, which was a little bit more work than it might seem. I mean, everyone like mm-hmm. everyone was booked. Everyone's time had been booked out. The whole studio had been booked out. The label was expecting a certain due date. There was just a lot of admin behind the scenes that like we had to go in and um, really fight for, like fight to get to get it mm-hmm. moved. But Natalie was pretty much. My mind was made up. Yeah, it was just like, this yeah. is what's going to happen. So that, that helped. And then we moved it to, to basically March and April the following year, and mm-hmm. um, which was only a few months away, so it wasn't really that much time. Um, and about half the songs on this record, we had been already discussing and kind of dealing with, uh, like Short Court and a couple more. Um, but then she was like, uh, I was already sort of tagged to produce the record, but we spent basically every day in January, she hit me up and was like, hey, do you want to write write together? Which actually, weirdly, we had never done before. Oh, yeah, we'd never written together before. That's pretty crazy. Matt um, and I have been, known each other for so long. Yeah, and that wasn't just, that was something that we had never done. And, and it like, worked really well. <laughs> we are like, how did we not do this before? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we ended up writing, and it was like we did like two or three days, and then... Um, she was like, can you do this every day? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I can do it every day. And so I just like, awesome. we just blocked out every single day yeah. of January. That's right. And we worked every day. Mm-hmm. Because from like 10 a.m. to yeah, like, like five, yeah, like a job. Like 10 to five every single day yeah. and wrote the rest of the record. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that was. Maybe you can talk about this a little bit. Part part of it was trying to get. I mean, writing political songs is hard. Why don't you talk about that? Actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can talk about how hard it is. It is really hard because how do you talk about these things in a way that's not too on the nose or could come off like a little? I don't know. Just. You don't, you don't want to alienate any, anybody, I guess, or it's like, how do we talk about this like really difficult, giant, broken issue in like three minutes and have it be singable <laughs> and danceable? It's actually a lot harder than it sounds. But my favorite artist to ever make political music is Stevie Wonder. I feel like he's just the best at it. And um, he was my... I kind of just always kept him in mind with how kind he is with his approach to writing um, political music and how inclusive and just compassionate he is towards humanity just in general. And that's how I wanted to approach writing the new songs. Um, I guess Sisters is a a little like obvious where I'm leaning, but... It's a touch on the nose. It's a touch on the nose. <laughs> but I felt like this that's what I needed at the time. And I remember with that one, actually, when mm-hmm. we worked on the So on the, the hook on Sisters, we worked. One of the great things about writing with Nat is that she won't let a section go if she doesn't think it, that it's right, which can be, I, I find writing with other people, that's a lot of times it's like, oh yeah, we got it pretty good. We got eighty five percent of the way there. Mm-hmm. We spent an hour on it. Like, let's move on. Let's move on. 
but I think both of us share the same, we have a very similar sort of uh, temperature for like getting things right. And like yeah. the Hook on Sisters, we probably spent a day. Yeah. I mean, literally like <laughs> you're, hook, you're looping the same eight bars for eight hours mm-hmm. and it's just over and over and over and over again. Which is sort of a hor- it's ho- horrible. Yeah, and <laughs> it's like a, it's a terrible thing to do to yourself. But I remember that when we finally got there was some like the is all the all the like the anxiety start going through your head like oh I suck at writing I, yeah. I can't do this <laughs> at least for me like how come I can't just put that one little word in that part? But yeah. I remember you were very in- insistent when we got when we got what it was. It was like, this is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. Like it's done, basically. Yeah. Which is, you know, you're the boss in that situation. So it's like, <laughs> all right, it's done. Great. <laughs> you can go home. Um, are there, I mean, do you have favorite songs on the record? Hot from the Mountain is my personal favorite. And Matt and I also wrote that one together. That one, I feel like, just blends everything that I love about music (laughs) I really try to like I'm very conscious about like putting all of my the elements of music that I just like love I'm very conscious of like it needs to have like interesting chord changes but it needs to be sound simple I like weird melodies and I needs to have a groove and those are my favorite parts about music so that one I feel like it just show it has like three verses and a chorus. Like it's really weird. It's like verse A, B, and C, and then a chorus, and then verse A, B, C, bridge, chorus. And it's just like a really interesting progression. And um, yeah, it's my favorite one. And I like the message a lot. The message is, you know, it's just don't give up and we're hot from the mountain. Like we're not gonna, we're just gonna keep going kind of thing. So kind of related to that, just to get on the political thing a little bit, the way I saw it, and we can get into this as much or as little as you would like, but getting to the record, recording of this record for you wasn't um, a simple process. No. And I don't think that it would be exaggerating to say that you almost walked away from music. This time around? Period. This time around, this record cycle, last one. You tell me. <laughs> last one, yeah. I, th- I mean, I was living in Nashville. I was just like, I couldn't get a break. You know, I was 27 and just like, I'm so old. And <laughs> uh, I just thought like, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. And like, ever, you know, Nashville, there's songwriters and musicians of all levels just doing it. And you're just still like, working your two jobs and like shit, you know, feeling really self-conscious comparing yourself to all the thousands of people in Nashville making it work. Um, and uh, that's when I, I was really, I started a dog clothing company and that's when I was really considering like, oh, maybe I'll just do this. Like, this is my new life. <laughs> because I made a lot of money, like instantly. Like that was the beauty of like making something with your hands and selling it and then instantly getting money. Like music is not like that. It's like you have to spend a shit ton of money and then like cross your fingers. Like hopefully people like this. Yeah, <laughs> kind and then, of. And, well, and then coming off of that record, 
mm-hmm. getting to this one was a journey as yes, well. Yes, I mean, this one, I couldn't believe it uh, because uh, we recorded, you know, the first record together, you know, 2011, 2012, and then it took a very long time to be released. It came out in 2015. And so I just felt this extreme uh, sense of urgency, like I need to write and record as soon as possible. And then like, again, you know, things, I had kind of a crazy, you know, year in a lot of ways. And um, it was just like my life was changing. Um, and, uh, and also I'm like extremely picky about like the music that I want to put out there. But the record kept getting pushed, you know, I don't know if you remember that. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> June. It was yes, supposed to be I June of 2016. Then it was supposed to be September. And then it was moved to November, December. And then tomorrow. And then ironically, I was the one that wanted to push it further to yeah. rewrite the whole thing. But my label at the time, um, they were so upset. It was not easy. Uh, you know, they really wanted me to. Um, you know, they had me like write in LA for a while, and that's something I've always just wanted to try like knock it off my bucket list. And I just didn't have a really good experience By in LA, out there. You mean not just be out in LA. You mean. Oh, co-write yeah. in LA. Yeah. They wanted me to um, write with like a bunch of pop people, which was rad. Like, I just wanted to try it. Like, why not? I have this opportunity. I'll go for it. But it really didn't work for me at all. Um, there was one guy that didn't even know who like Stevie Wonder, like they knew who he was, but they couldn't know. They didn't know any of his songs or, Curtis Mayfield or anything. I was just like, what? And what am I doing out here? <laughs> Do not belong out here. Um, I had a couple like panic attacks in the closet that I, of the Airbnb. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What, what? Also like <laughs> crashed the back of the car I was renting into like a pole. It was just like terrible. So much anxiety. Um, not, a, not on purpose. Not on purpose, no. <laughs> um, I bring that up. <laughs> Because it, it, it felt like to me very much, there was a certain type of, um, I guess I have two questions. One, it, it felt like this, the feeling of, for lack of a better word, like oppression that a lot of us felt when Donald Trump got elected. You were sort of dealing with twofold in the sense that you had an industry situation that was being very hands-on mm-hmm. with what you kind of... It's they like they were hands-on, but they also weren't at all. But they just like wanted a specific, a very specific path for me, and they wanted me to yeah. work out basically anywhere but Richmond. They wanted me to work anywhere but Richmond, <laughs> so, which I thought was crazy. I was like, "Well, this is what I want to do," and I feel like an artist needs to work where they're most comfortable to make the best art. Duh, but <laughs> wasn't so easy. No, so it's not. Sort of a two-part question. One. How do you deal in the broad sense of we're making this art, but it also intersects with industry, it intersects with selling, and it intersects with a whole team of people that deal with your art in one way or the other? Like, how do you personally kind of find balance in making something because you want to make it and then dealing with, with the music business, which is a f- weird fucking place? <laughs> it is. It's a weird business. Yeah, I mean, well, all business is weird, I guess. But no, I guess especially it's not when all I, weird when you're trying selling art is different. Yeah, it is. It's different. just a fundamentally different thing than selling um, dog clothing, <laughs> <laughs> for instance. Uh, yeah, it's a balance. Um, 
you know, and it's just me. I'm a solo artist. I'm not part of a band or anything. So my team is very important to me. And um, I respect my teammates, you know, and um, I always want to hear people out. I'm always open to what people think. But if I think it's wrong, I'm going to say so, <laughs> you know. I have no problem with, like, putting my ego aside to, like, put myself in their perspective of how someone sees me. But then, like, like L.A., I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go to L.A., I'll try it. You know, I'm always down to just, like, try something out. But, like, creatively, because I don't want to box... I'm also an artist. I don't like boxing myself in at all. Like, if anything, I can't... That's the thing I don't like the most about being an artist. Is I don't want to be just this or that. So I'm working really hard to make sure I can have creative freedom, like, at all times. But, um, yeah, I mean, the industry is strange. But, it's like, I, we also, like, we all need each other, you know, right? It's like, I don't know how to do what the label does for me. And they don't know how to do what I do, you know? So it's like a, there has to be a balance. And hopefully the people that you work with want the best for you and understand where you're coming from. And unfortunately, the label I was with before didn't really understand. My label didn't understand me. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. You know, it's just like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know, yeah. I'm just trying to get real right now. So, yeah. Um, not to... You know what this is like. Yeah, you run Space Bomb yeah, Records, I do, Matt. I do Did know, you forget? I, yeah, I, know, I <laughs> definitely know what it's like. It's, a, it's tricky. It's tricky, Yeah. yeah. So speaking of space home, actually, this is, that was a nice segue. Um, <laughs> so after Natalie's first record, which I was very much involved in and released and produced, and, uh, I, I told her over and over and over again, like, listen, there's no, we didn't have any sort of business ties to each other mm -hmm. at that point. And it was like, you go do your, do whatever you want to do. Like, this record was successful. It, it was beneficial for both of us. Um, but I, it, it was very important for me that she knew that there was no, I didn't feel like she owed me anything. I didn't feel like she needed to come back to Space Bomb to make her record. I didn't feel anything like that. And I probably, I might have told you that. You did. Over and over and over oh, and yeah, over again. Sure. It was Because I think it was really important to the art. I think it was, it was really important for our personal relationship. Um, just for that to be clear, but Natalie fought extremely hard. <laughs> All right, well, don't go tooting your own horn. <laughs> well, no, well, I, I, I bring it up but because did, it's funny. Yeah. You fought really hard, like harder than I did. I kept yeah, being like, Natalie, sure. like, they, don't, they do not want you to record here. <laughs> like, maybe you should go somewhere else. Like, <laughs> like, and you really put up a fight to, mm -hmm. to come back to Richmond and record. So, Well, I live in Richmond. Yeah, what? Well, yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah, from recording right. other places. Right, right. Um again, you know, I'm not asking for compliments here, but why mm -hmm. what about the Space Bomb community? I mean, why did you choose to make it with us? For sure. Again? Um okay, well, one I thought it'd be awesome like after all this time for like, you know, the first record we did it. 
Spacebomb wasn't even, when we recorded, Spacebomb was just an idea you had. You weren't even, you hadn't released anything. You were still trying to like figure out what being a label meant. Yep. So we recorded the first record in the attic of your house. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I just thought it'd be cool, like after all this time, you have, you know, you've recorded so many records since you and I recorded together. I think maybe my record was what the fourth record you ever produced maybe oh no no oh second oh second oh Third, my god maybe, really if you count james i thought Car carl blau was before me well he produced his own record basically oh okay all right gotcha gotcha okay okay Carl's. all right gotcha so I just thought it'd be really cool. Like I felt like I had grown so much and learned so much about like, cause I had never at that point recording with you guys never recorded with a band like that before. I'd always just built tracks by myself or with one other person. And that sounds very, it sounds kind of flat. Like at least for me, because I'm not well versed on bass and like I can get around, but I can't, I'm not like Cameron Ralston like that plays on these records. Like, so, um, the first record, I was just more or less like observing what you guys were doing and just learning and soaking everything in. And um, I just thought it'd be really cool to, to come back with all of you guys and show how much, you know, how diverse we all are and what we can do. And, and plus, like, I just like, I'm all about, like I said, my team. And like, I just have so much like, well, I'm going to get gushy, but I just, Love you very much, Matt. You know, <laughs> Matt means the world to me, and you, and um, and uh, I just really trust you, and you trust me, and that's really important as well. There's, I feel like I'm very, uh, you know, just as a. A lot of the times, I'm like the only like you know woman in the room when I'm recording, and most of the time, that's actually really intimidating, and um, and I'm a very kind of like read the room kind of person and you guys I know you so well so I'm very comfortable with you and I know you guys respect me and where you know where I'm coming from as an artist and you listen to me and I wanted to make sure like I felt that comfort you know with the second record because the second record is terrifying because you released your first one and then how do you follow-ups, everybody has so many expectations of what you should be doing next, and you're never going to, like, fully win, you know, so I just wanted to be in an environment that I felt very comfortable in, yeah. So in, in the recording of the record, were there moments that stood out, like production moments, like, so the grind of the studio date was basically, and we were there for... A long time. long time. Almost eight weeks. Twelve-hour days. Twelve to twelve. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Monday through Friday, 12 to 12. The band was there for about three, two and a half weeks. And then we had vocals and all kinds of stuff. But that that's kind of the rhythm. And it's basically like, it's more or less like a song a day. I mean, it's something along Two those, songs a day. Well, yeah, I guess that's right. Is that how we yeah. scheduled it? Yeah. Uh, you tell me. <laughs> No, we did, um, so we would start at noon, and then we would start tracking, like, literally, like, uh, 12, 10, and then we would take a break at 6 for dinner. So we would track one song from, like, 
12 to 6. Oh, because we didn't do overdubs at night. We did a second mm-hmm. song at night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we took an hour break um, and then come back 7 o'clock to midnight and do a different a second song. Yeah. What was that process like? Just a little insight into that from your point from your point of view uh it was i knew what to expect so that was um really great for me i knew like i know your process so well so i felt like it was easier it was really easy for me to like step in and you know at times um i would would say that was a big difference in this one mm -hmm. in the last one and we talked about it a lot it's Mm -hmm. like Natalie, for for me, it was. A, I felt like Natalie, you just needed to get in there, get your hands dirty more, because you have probably the majority of artists that I'm working with as a producer cannot, don't actually know what they want, and and what you're providing for them is a language and a vision. But like with you, I'm not really doing that. I'm not providing the language or the vision. Really, I'm sort of just sort yeah. of get in where I fit in, like give you good idea, give you ideas that I think would be a good fit. For sure, and then. And vice versa. Just, just make sure it happens, basically. Make yeah. sure it gets done mm-hmm. and gets done at a high level and run the day and that that kind of stuff. But you really stepped in in a different way mm-hmm. on this one, which which was by design. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we wanted. Um, I mean, you would always, I would say to Matt, like, if something wasn't going the how I was hearing it, I know she's like, no, it's not right. And you're like, get in there, like get in the live room. So then I don't have to like go over to Penson, the drummer. And like, he has this great story. I just toured with Penson for the first time, not that long ago in Europe, which we've never like played shows together before, which is crazy. We've just like recorded together. And he, he said this great story where like I walked into his drum booth and I was like, no, Penson, it's more like this. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, got it. <laughs> I was like, I need you to hit that crash. And then the. <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. Like, talking about music and explaining what you want is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. It's, yeah, it is tough. It is tough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> were, were there mo- are there moments on the record from, uh, there's like sort of, you know, when you're making a record, there's sort of like the songwriting moments in that world, and then there's kind of the production moments. Are there moments that stood out for you just as we were tracking that were yeah. e- either interesting or fun or scary or what, whatever, like that when you think back on that process or think back through the songs. Well, I always do my own like background vocals and the most rewarding, the most exciting part for me was having the choir. These nine girls came, they sing in the VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University uh, gospel choir. And uh, these nine girls split into three, like, you know, you had your alto, tenor, soprano, Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that how it works for women? I don't know. And uh, just having them sing my these songs that were so brand new and all of them just like really getting into it and singing in unison all together. And they were so quick to learn the material. I was really scared because I've never just had other people sing my stuff before on, on a record. Uh, in a recording environment, and so you're really, you're really like you're, you're scared. You're like, this is new. I don't really know. You're still putting it all together. You're kind of insecure about it. And these girls like can sing their asses off, and you know I can sing, but I can't sing like that. Like you know that they can. And um, 
I was just, you know, just like, oh, do they, do they like the music? Do they like my voice? Uh, and it was just a lot of fun. And they were all so, they were so awesome. They were so into it, like dancing in the live room and like came up to me after. And they're like, if you ever need a choir, just let me know. I'm just like, yes. Like, so that was probably the most fun for me, those girls. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. This is a pivot, but I, I'm interested. I, so the, the question is, what is it like to be a woman in the music industry? <laughs> but I, I sort of bring it up because yeah. Natalie and I had a, there's a story that I, it was just unbelievable to me. Before we did her record, I was producing another artist and she was supposed to do background vocals. She was asked to do background vocals. Me? Yes. Oh, yeah. You were asked to do background vocals. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, Natalie doing background vocals is like a dream. It's just like sing, sing a line and she sings it and it's in, she's perfect pitch, is in tune. And then you're like, great, sing a harmony above it. And she's like, okay. And she sings it and it's perfect. And then you're like, sing a harmony below it. And it's just, it's like there's no, there's no extra time between like an idea you might have as a producer and like getting it recorded. It's really, really quick. And when we're doing it for your record, it's like we're flying. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of this really amazing, just, it just gets built. Just, you know, you start a song and 30 minutes later, you've got this like shit tons of background vocals on it. And like, you don't have to ever redo anything. And <laughs> Most of the background vocals can be, or vocals in general can be a, a, a incredibly, incredibly painstaking. But with Natalie, when it's not like when that recording. at all. Yeah. So uh, you were doing background vocals for this artist. And so I was like, sweet, this is going to be great. Like, Natalie's going to come in and we're going to knock yeah, out these like, vocals. Yeah, I was like, I'll be there hour tops. Yeah, maybe. easy. Like, just bam, 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 bam. And I was really excited about it. It was going to be cool. And you came in and... This guy just stepped in in a way that I had never, I had never seen. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, it was t telling Natalie what to do and being kind of rude. And mm -hmm. all the while, didn't know musically at all what he was talking about. Literally was, telling me to sing wrong notes. Yeah, it I was, was like, a, are you it sure? Was a are it sure? was just this total like you're paying me all right i'll, I'll sing that wrong show. ass note <laughs> you want that note i will sing it yeah, yeah. where's she's, my check you know, she's <laughs> it was this, it was just this wild experience and you know he was an artist so again it's like all right man like i'll sort of get out of your way here it was very awkward he was so remember, fired up oh man who was not the guy he was very mm. fired up yeah. and so on the, and on the way home i I remember calling him and being like, I'm so sorry. That was really strange. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened. And you were like, I, I think it was because I was a woman. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I had totally, mi I had completely missed that. Mm -hmm. And when we talked about that for a long time that day and just kind of like, damn, like you, like I, you know, because I'm not a woman in the industry, I don't, there's experiences that I don't see a you lot just of, don't I have just don't have. At all. And, yeah. and I remember we talked about it then. And then in light of the Trump stuff, like in the Hillary stuff, like we ended up spending a lot of time talking about those kind of things as it relates to the bigger picture mm -hmm. in the world we all live in, but also as it relates to the industry, it was just 
eye-opening for me. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering if you could share. Yeah, I remember that was interesting, uh, you know, after that session, because I was thinking to myself, like, oh, well, that was just kind of normal for me. You know, like, it was weird, because he was literally telling me to sing wrong notes, but maybe this just, I feel like that energy, that was nothing new to me. And I know how to deal with it. And I know how to work around like somebody being overly pushy or like thinking I don't know what to do. And uh, I feel like a lot of women deal with that. Um, most of us, we have to just like, you know, stand our ground, but then we have to learn how to weave through these little obstacles that are constantly put in our way when we're supposed to be the ones in charge, you know? Like, you hired me to do background vocals. That's what I definitely know how to do. Like, um, this should have taken me half hour to an hour tops, you know? But I was there for at least three hours. Duh. It's the yeah. worst. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, you know, I, I've been doing this like a long time. I've been writing, you know, like I said, a song since I was in first grade. And I started like a girl singing group uh, in elementary school. And then I started my first band. And What were they called? I am not going to say what our name was because <laughs> it is so embarrassing. Okay, guys, this is so bad. But so my parents, we would vacation. I grew up in Virginia Beach, and we would literally vacation in Virginia Beach, too. <laughs> like, I'd never left Virginia Beach. <laughs> um, and, you know, we would rent, like, a beach house in Sandbridge. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Sandbridge. It's pretty nice. Uh, but uh, one of the houses was called Foolish Pleasure. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant, but like the, wow. the, the logo was really 70s bubbly looking. And I was like, that looks really cool. That should be our band name. Oh my God, I've never told anybody that. How old were you guys? Oh, we were like seven. <laughs> I don't know why my, my parents didn't say anything to me. Um, so I've seen like a lot of changes, you know? And then growing up in Virginia Beach, I was literally the only girl playing in bands. Did you realize that? Well, well I guess you guys had Sarah Carter. Yeah, we did. Yeah. But that was like the first girl that I saw other than myself, like. I did meet the, 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 day, the night that I met Natalie, we were playing a battle of the bands. And she, I was a junior in high school, which means you were. A freshman. A, a freshman. And she was the only girl, and she had on bright orange pants and a Ramones T-shirt. Sid Vicious. Sid Vicious. You correct me every time. <laughs> I <was> there, huh? <laughs> she stood out. That was fun. <laughs> and then I replaced her in the band. Yeah, then you replaced me in that band that, yeah, that I had. <laughs> um, but I just, like, you know, in high school feeling like, I don't know, I just got used to how, like, I studied guys. Like, I studied behavior, and because I wanted to play music so badly, and I wanted to be in bands so badly, so I studied, like, the humor and the body language, and, like, which is kind of crazy, you know? Um, so, I, so I could learn how to, like, hang, and it not be weird, you know? Um, 
I remember it first hit me when I was like, oh, I get treated a little differently. Um, when I would, I would have to play with like, all the dudes in the punk bands and stuff because those are the only like bands in Virginia Beach at the time. Um, and uh, all like the girls like loved all the guys so much. And then the girls like hated me, you know. <laughs> and the girls hated me and the guys were scared of me. And like the guys thought the guys were cool and the girl, you know, and I was just like, what? This isn't f fair, you know. <laughs> um, but I just, I guess I just kind of got used to navigating it because there's just nothing else that I really want to do with my time, you know, so. But it's changing and that makes me so happy. Oh so my you, God, there's so many that? girls. Like it's like, it's like, it's getting normal to see girls like in bands, like all girls, you know, all girls playing in a band together. Like that was not even possible to me, you know, for so long, which is weird. I didn't even know girls played electric instruments until I was a freshman in high school because I loved Motown music so much. And like the popular girls on the radio played acoustic instruments played acoustic guitar and piano. So when I saw like Jenny Lewis playing bass, electric bass for the first time, I was just like, what? No way, you know, blew my mind. That's cool. Yeah. So why, why, why do you make art? Why do you do it? <laughs> it's complicated, it's a fucking complicated question. Or maybe it's not, it's interesting to me. Because I think different people have different answers. Well, it started. Hmm, I don't want to get like too personal, but like I was very much like a kid that like always stayed in my room and stuff, and um, and I didn't really know how to like. <laughs> God, I'm not trying to like sound pathetic, but <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it was like the only way I knew how to like talk and express myself and like work through like I said I've always been very emotional and that's something that I've just, I've just that's always been part of my personality and music was always such a way that like I bonded with like my dad and my sister and so I felt like that was a way that I could connect with them so that's when I started that's why I wrote a song so early and I wrote the song about finding the last tulip on earth. Like it was like a post-apocalyptic song. <laughs> like, like I said, I was very just like a weird kid. <laughs> and, um, and then from there, it was like, oh, if I write songs and like play in bands, then people have to hang out with me. <laughs> so like my so you know what I mean so like I got all the girls together in my neighborhood and I was like this is how we're gonna hang out and I'm gonna be in charge <laughs> you guys you know and these are all the songs that I've written and you're gonna sing them you know <laughs> that was for the the girl group yeah. foolish pleasure <laughs> <laughs> and then how many girls were in that band three of us oh, yeah. mm-hmm Wrote a song about tomatoes. Wrote a song about being trapped inside a fish's stomach. Like I said, it was very strange. <laughs> um, but we all had matching outfits. <laughs> um, 
so I guess it just then from there it's just kind of just be, it's become part of I feel like I've just grown I mean everybody you're always growing and you're learning how you your brain works and how you function in life and like that for a long time that was like the only way I knew how to like work through anything so but now I feel like because I've done it for so long it doesn't have to be that anymore it can just be like to put positive energy in the world you know now it's like I feel like I'm 32 now so it's like I've got my stuff relatively figured out you know so you know what I mean like I feel like a lot of guys start music to attract girls right like why did you start music not for that but oh why did you why are you an artist Matt actually I want to know this um I don't know I feel, I feel like it it's something I, I just always created I always made stuff mm -hmm. and I, I think I think about it a lot because I think in in especially as because there there's a lot of like emotional I think kind of emotional reasons like same thing as you like you do it to work through yeah. emotional things and it's mm -hmm. it's sort of a it's cathartic and it's a sort of a meditational practice that you can kind of go to it's also something that I was relatively gifted at compared mm -hmm. to other things. So yeah, it's same. like, yeah. it's like yeah. you like to do things that you're good at, this you comes know, naturally. Yeah. But I think as I grow into that, some of that fades to some degree, although it's still true in some ways. But I think for me, the truth is, is like, I just make it because I have to make it. Mm -hmm. Like I just, that's what I do. Mm -hmm. And I, and I wouldn't be, if there was no, I got, I say this a lot, but it was like, musicians aren't owed a music industry like if there was just mm -hmm. because i'm i'm just because i make something doesn't mean there has to be an industry around it yeah for sure um and i think i think a lot about it. if there wasn't an industry if i wasn't able to make i mean until i was 29 my first record came out on my 29th birthday and up to that point i i had no idea that i was gonna have any sort of like professional career in the sense of like That's cool. doing this for a living it was like it was just something that I did and I just like nose to the grindstone kind of like hustle all the time but my heroes were like like free jazz guys who like you know, <laughs> slept on people's floors and made $200 a night or whatever like right. that was, it was, being that, a that was like I was like yeah sweet like yeah if I can do that but so the idea of having an industry wasn't ever mm-hmm it wasn't really on. See, you can be 29 and start a career, you know? Seriously. <laughs> it's true. And and so I think now, I think about it a lot, just like if 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 that part went away, like if there wasn't an audience or there wasn't a, a place to put out a record, mm -hmm. it's like, would I still put out a record? And I think so. I think it's just something that I do, that I totally just have insane. to do. And, and like the, mm -hmm. cr the creation just the act of creation is a place that I go and I learn about the world. That's how I learn about myself. That's how I learn about other people. That's how I learn about my friends, all my closest friends, like I make with. Mm -hmm. um, and aside from any kind of commercial aspect of things, that's, that's like a, almost, a, it's a ritualistic in a way. Mm -hmm. I think that's what gives me, you know, yeah, a lot of, a lot of hope and a lot of happiness. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah, my favorite is like going to a show 
that's so good. And you're just like, oh my God, I need to practice right now. Yeah. <laughs> you go home and you're like, I got I, I need to do, I need to get better immediately. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much to Matt and Natalie. Uh, let's give them a round of applause before we switch it over. Thanks so, for being here. So we'll just take a second to get this set up and we'll play some music. So yeah. just hang tight for Sounds a couple great. minutes. Sounds great. i play a couple songs. Stop talking. <laughs> Start. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Um, okay. So this one is called The Fire. And I wrote this one with... Um, in Nashville a long, long time ago with this guy, Mickey Echo. Do you guys know him? But I know him just as Steve. Like, we used to sing at weddings together and stuff. And he used to do background vocals for bands and stuff all the time. Um, but then he just wrote a song with, you know, and Rihanna sang it, so whatever, that's cool. Um, <laughs> now he's like, Mickey Echo, uh, <laughs> killing it. But we wrote this song together um, a very long time ago and I couldn't I remember really loving it and I but I could only remember bits and pieces of it so I ended up just kind of rewriting a little bit of it and actually he did like he rewrote it whatever I'm not gonna tell that story but anyway here it is Straight back into your fire 
Thanks. All right. Um, let's see. I'll do this one. This one I really didn't want on the record. I was like, I can't put that song on the record. Um, but uh, just because it, it was written um, about a time that in my life that I just really wanted to put behind me. Um, but um, I realized it's important to tell my story because people can, there's lots of people that can relate. So, uh, which, you know, I know that's like, duh. But, um, but it was just like a very like, I was like, no, this person does not deserve any of my like nothing. So but it's, a, it's, it's, it's a song and it's cool. So it's, it's worked. <laughs> I, I, I found like the reason why I should record it. So this one's called Lost. Turn up the fader. It's like a lightning bolt. Make it be saved.
so excited about this record coming out. Thank you for being here. Come say what's up. I love chatting. Come say hi. Natalie, we are so glad that you love chatting, and we are so glad that you chatted with Matthew E. White on today's podcast. And of course, we got two songs out of it as well, which is not too shabby. Very beautiful. And thanks again to The Strand for co-presenting this fantastic event. They're wonderful hosts. Wonderful love hosts. Them. Today's episode is recorded by Jason Kelly and co-produced by Mark, the new papa, Yoshizumi. Listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to head over to Stitcher, iTunes, and subscribe. We have some very cool episodes coming up in the following weeks. Boots Riley of The Coup, classic hip-hop band. The Coup. Who's directed this awesome new movie, Sorry to Bother You. He will be talking with, grilled by, honestly, Ronaldo <laughs> Marcus Green from Monsters and Men. And then what you got? I've got Tim Kinsella, he of Joan of Arc, in conversation with Devendra Banhart. The guys have covered each other's music and are going to be in deep conversation. We're also premiering a song on the site. So we're on fire. We're on fire. I we mean, are on fire. Listeners, please have a great July 4th. And if you can, take one positive action that day against the administration for the talk house. <laughs> one for us. <laughs> one for, for us. your boys. All right. Take it easy. Peace. Peace.